I'm only influenced by myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've all we've all heard yeah. that. By myself and Radiohead. That's the only two. <laughs> uh, playing Nirvana. The Cobain 50. Nirvana. Kurt Cobain's Top 50 Albums. Nirvana. From listener-powered KEXP. Welcome back to The Cobain 50, the podcast where we're digging into Kurt Cobain's Top 50 Albums of all time. I'm Dusty Henry. And I'm Martin Douglas. Today we have our first ever roundtable episode of the series. Um, If you've been listening, we've been going through each album, different contributors on the team, digging into the histories of these records. Uh, Today we're joined by the amazing Albina Cabrera, host of El Cancionardo Kurt and host of El Sonido on KEXP. Hola amigos. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, thanks for being here. The first three albums of the Cobain 50 are The Stooges' Raw Power, Pixie's Surfer Rosa, and the Vaseline's dying for it. Yeah, so I guess just to kick things off, um, you know, let, let's go back to just the list itself. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, how aware was everyone of Kurt's list before we started this project? And did it have, like, any impact on you personally? Like, I'd love to hear from you, Albina. Yes, of course. I was aware, but being honest, I think that I had forgotten about this list and so many albums feature on it. Uh, but I think that it's just because it, it's been a bit since the last time that I listened to those albums. So I believe that it's going to be like a super good exercise for all of us to mm-hmm. revisit them. And something that you were talking on the episode about Surfer Rosa, about these like templates album, right? Like the mm-hmm. albums that were so important to build like different musical movements. So I was aware, but I think that it's going to be a good exercise to, <laughs> to revisit them. Yeah, I was... Um first aware of the list when Kurt's journals were published in 2002. And I feel as though, I don't know, like I looked at the list, but I had already been familiar with a lot of the bands, you know, especially bands like the Pixies and the Vaseline's bands that are tantamount to Nirvana and Kurt's musical life already before I'd even read those, you know, the list from the journals. And like Albina, I think it was so, it was such a influential thing that you kind of just forget about it and you're cellularly aware of most of the bands on this list already. And then you kind of forget where it came from and how it relates to Kurt. And so, yeah, re revisiting the list prior to us deciding that we were going to do this series, it was a breath of fresh air, really. It was like, oh, this is this is pretty cool. I forgot about this. It's a nice little nice little relic of um, rock history. Yeah, totally. I mean, this list, like Martin, I talked a little bit. Like, it was super big for me to like. Nirvana is just like a, the ultimate gateway band into to, to deeper underground music. Like, I, I I know they're controversial. I loved the journals. Like when I was a, a teenager, like. I convinced my mom to buy it for me and, and she, she was like, I'm going to get you this for you, but do not worship this man. <laughs> <laughs> but how old was you when you first read them? I must have been like 14 or something, probably the right age for her or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, me too. I was like 14. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I'm a I'm a little older than both of y'all. So I remember like when it when the journals first came out, it was 2002. I so I was, you know, probably 18, 19 when they came out. And um, I actually remember reading them, I believe, at the old Tower Records right across the street from Seattle Center, where we're recording this right now. And yeah, now it's uh, now the old Tower Records is a parking garage where I park my car when I come to work. <laughs> but it makes sense because uh, for you, you were more aware about, I don't know, the Vaseline, for example, yeah. uh, than me. Latino America, I think that we all knew about the Vaseline through Nirvana right. and, and after the journals, of course. So it's interesting. Yeah. Now I, I, I like a lot of the Vaselines, but yeah, I discovered them thanks to Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I feel like the idea of the Vaselines for me came from the songs that Nirvana covered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And the, I remember even looking at the list being like, it didn't even like feel real looking at the names like butthole surfers and stuff. I was like, oh, gross. <laughs> like, what is this stuff? And like, when you flip through the journals, there's like his really graphic drawings and some of them are really cool, but like some of them are kind of disturbing. But um I don't know. Yeah, it was just such a mind-blowing, mind-expanding like list of bands. Like when you're just used to hearing like what's on like, you know, mainstream radio. I wasn't aware of KXP at the time, but you know, it's just like I, I love that Kurt was like, even if you didn't have this list, if you heard him in interviews, he was opening the door to like check out Shonen Knife, check mm -hmm. out the Vaselines, like check out Meat Puppets, you know? Yeah, especially if you watched a lot of MTV as a kid, which I did. Yeah. While we're talking about this list, what are some of the things that struck the two of you about Kurt's list and his overall music taste? And what kind of impact did it have on you reading the list? Well, no, to me, I think that it, the list itself doesn't surprise me, but I have to say that I'm... I'm like, wow, about Kurt Cobain's vision, because I think that the eclecticism um, through the list is like the most exciting part. I mean, I I think that um, across Latin America, of course, MTV was like a big reason why we started to listen to Nirvana and many of uh, these bands. But um, you can find, I don't know, like, Classics like this, the Clash or the Beatles or the Stooges, and makes totally sense when you listen to the Nirvana unique sound, you know, because I think that is composed to several parts of those influences. So I think that that is the most exciting part to me. I think that Kurt Cobain as a visionary, right, as an ideologo, you know, like he he was. Uh, in the present, but also in the future. And it was like so unconsciously for, for him, you know, and mm -hmm. that, that, that is something that I really, really love about Kurt Cobain's. And again, um, I started to listen to these bands at the same time. I discovered Nirvana at the same time that The Clash and at the same time that The, the Sex Pistols, because I, you know, I, I was like 12 years old, 10 years old, you know? Totally. I think like you're so right. Like he was like, so ahead of his time and i think for a lot of reasons but this list is really exemplifies that to me because like i feel like nowadays it's really common for people to i listen to everything but like it used to be like you listen to punk you listen to like pop or whatever you know that you 
you kind of picked your lane or your scene and like this list it's it's definitely punk heavy but like there's stuff like Aerosmith and you know the Beatles and Black Flag it just it crosses over scenes that like previously like at that time, wasn't very common. It's like a kind of um, a school of rock, you know. I think that he built exactly the list that, it, like, that every young person needs to listen to when they're becoming like adults in this life. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that you have the list to start this adulthood <laughs> at some yeah. point, you know. So I think that is amazing. Yeah, this is like the cool version of that uh, that book, 50 albums you need to listen to before you die or 100 or totally. whatever it is. But yeah, like, again, this is the second time I'm going to reference it, but being part of an older generation, <laughs> I, I um, definitely identify with what Dusty is saying about the lack of eclecticism when you are when you attach yourself to a music scene like when i was growing up you know people listened to rap and rb or they listened to punk or they listened to whatever was on mainstream radio top 40 and there was very little overlap and the idea of having a varied taste in music like it was it was almost frowned upon. I remember, you know, being one of the weird kids in school because I liked a lot of different types of music. And I won't say that it was necessarily surprising, but I do really like that Kurt had public enemies. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back on his list. Like just the I just this idea that you know, the punk kids were into rap throughout my life. I feel as though I have had one foot in rap and one foot in punk. And so the idea that there are punk rockers out there who felt the same, who liked rap music, who saw the the artistic, the social, the radical properties in rap music was uh, was really cool for me personally. And it feels like as a, you know, as a young black person in America, I felt really seen when, you know, the most famous rock musician in the world kind of gives a little shout out to rap music. I love that. It's like, yeah, man. Hard to know, like, what wonder what his like next fifty records would have been, you know, like with mm-hmm. and, and the overlap of punk and rap is just becoming so so clear as time goes on. I actually had a conversation about this at a party over the weekend. Oh, but really? I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping that we that we have a roundtable or a bonus episode speculating on what we think Kurt would like today or in the past thirty years since he passed away because. That would be a really fun conversation. We might have to do that. <laughs> well, let's dig into some of the records that we we talked about so far on the series. I'll start with the number one. This was we're not doing the records in the order that Kurt wrote, but number one on the list was Stooges Raw Power, and that seemed like a great place to start. Martin, you did that episode. Um, can you give us like a little some of your your takeaways and um, on on that record and how you think it influenced Nirvana and Kurt? Man. 
I feel as though the Stooges' first three albums are the template for so much guitar music, whether it's punk, whether it's garage, whether, you know, metal, hard rock. There's a little a little bit of the Stooges in most iterations of guitar music that's popular right now. It had been a few years since I had um, listened to Raw Power all the way through. I mean, I've definitely listened to the self-titled Stooges album quite quite a few times in the last few years. But Raw Power was one that, yeah, it had been a few years. And so the idea that this album was released in 1973, like it feels feels relevant today. I don't know. That feels like a cliche, but it's also true. It feels fresh today. It feels like a a punch in the gut. It's still surprising. It's still like you listen, no matter how many times you listen to it, it's like a surprising, energizing record. Yeah, like I'm wondering wondering how you feel about it, Albina. We love the Stooges, and of course, uh, the presence of Iggy Pop in Latin America is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, he lived in uh, Colombia. Maybe you heard like Miss Argentina, the song by Iggy Pop. Of course, that um, we have a lot of stories, but specifically regarding the Stooges, I, I've been thinking a lot about this podcast called uh, Punk in Translation, where they are doing this Parallelismo between the punk in Peru with Los Saicos, 73, and um, punk in Europe. And uh, I don't know, it's our things that are so related. I makes totally seen. It's been a bit since I listened to uh, Raw Power, of course. I don't know if it's one of my favorite albums, but now that I'm doing this exercise, I was like... <laughs> Man, this is amazing, you know? And of course, that is, um, es como el ABC of punk. Uh, and, uh, and I think that, it, again, there is like a huge relationship between the Stooges, but specifically with Iggy Pop in Latin America, specifically South America. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about that on El Cancionero de Kurt. I'm excited to hear that. And yeah, Iggy Pop himself, like, he's just like, the the like symbol of like punk like he's like the ambassador of like punk music to me and like it's amazing he's still so active like i saw him a couple of years ago and he just like i think he came on and he was like wearing like a suit jacket and he sat on a chair and i was like oh, okay i guess you know he's older now within like the first song ripped off the shirt threw the chair into the crowd and just like <laughs> dancing wiggling everywhere and it's just like wow like that's Everything about him and the Stooges is just, just like, it's right there at the beginning, you know? Like, it, it really, like, template, as I keep mm-hmm. coming to, like, it set, like, the template of, like, this is what, like, punk music can be and, like, represent, like, total, like, freedom, danger. I think we talked about in another episode. Like, it just, it's raw power. I don't know how else to yeah. put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> to think that... Iggy Pop, you know, 65, 70 years old, however he is, with his leathery torso gyrating around still. And it still it still feels great. It, you know, it doesn't it doesn't feel forced. 
it feels natural. And I think that is the um that is the biggest takeaway from the Stooges and their influence on punk music is like now punk is aging along with these people, but it still feels it still feels raw and confrontational. And I think that um uh, the Stooges playing this like role as a pioneers, you know, you, you feel that it's so natural because they didn't have, you know, any reference in, in a way, you know, to copy them. Like now we can, we can say that there are a lot of bands that maybe say, Oh, let's play like, uh, the Stooges, for mm -hmm. example, you know, but when you are doing something for the first time and you are setting the tone, you know, it feels like so natural. And I think that you can feel that, uh, on raw power. Totally. And also one thing I think about too with Iggy and, and Kurt, like with Iggy, when you see him like off stage or in interviews, he's, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm Iggy Pop. And he's just so friendly. <laughs> yes. And like Kurt's kind of like that too. He's kind of like in other interviews, he's kind of shy. He's a little confrontational, but he's got this kind of like subdued demeanor. And then like you get on stage and just this whole other presence comes out. And I like, I love that because like you can be both in punk. And I know we're going to get that. A lot of these bands on this list are have that dichotomy to me. And like, that's one of the things I love most. It's like, you're not always like raging, but like, I think we all have that in us maybe. Yeah, absolutely. That multifacetedness. Also, you brought up something um, very interesting, Dusty, that I wanted to point out. And that's regionalism. Mm. Like, I feel as though like personality wise, Iggy has that that very Midwestern sense of humility and gregariousness. And Kurt came across as shy and introverted in his <laughs> interviews, which, you know, as we know, comes from living in this gray, damp region where people don't really go outside until the summertime <laughs> and don't really talk to their neighbors and, you know, all of the things that are unique to the Pacific Northwest. Passive aggressive. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What do you mean by that, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into um, the Vaseline's Dying For It. Um, Albina, what were your takeaways from revisiting this album? Well, I think that um, Janice did an amazing work like comparing the musical scenes, the underground music scenes with the labels and in Escocia, for example, that it was something that I didn't know before. You know, I, we were mentioning that at least to me, the Vaseline um, started to be part of my life thanks to Kurt Cobain and thanks to um, Molly's Lips, basically. And uh, But something that is really interesting is how the Vaselines, when you know, Kurt Cobain, the 50 albums, the 50 uh, <laughs> artists also uh, had a, such a big influence. But it was interesting because I thought that the Vaseline's were more like an influence for the indie rock scene, the sonic indie rock scene in Latin America that was huge. But I found something very interesting uh, of one of the band, one of my favorite and one of the KXP's favorite band from Monterrey, Mexico, Los Mundos, which is a crowd and a stoner rock band, super noisy. And they did Los Labios de Molly in Espanol, the cover of Molly's Lips, because they are a big fan of the Vaseline's. And the cover is Amazing. You are going to hear that story uh, on El Cancionero de Kurt. 
So it's good to see little by little how that influence was like not only for the indie rock, indie pop scene, but also, you know, for other type of uh, musical movements such as crowd or stoner rock, which is great. I love that. Like, I, I think that kind of goes back to a little bit to like Martin's like point about regionalism and like how like different scenes and places of the world like reinterpret these sounds and like the attitude they bring and I've never been to Scotland, um, but like you, I feel like you get like a a lens into like what might be going on there. At least your imagination can run with that. And like listening to like their version of Molly's Lips, it's got that weird like honking sound like on the chorus. And mm-hmm. it was just like when I listened to that for the first time, it's like you can do anything in music. And I think that's punk, right? Punk, like we could be loud, we could be brash, we could shout, we don't have to have like discernible melody even at times but like you can also like honk a horn on the middle of your <laughs> of your chorus and like that like freedom um was just so like enlightening to me and like opened my door of my mind to all sorts of other music yeah there's a, a famous um kurt saying that again came you know came into being a cliche and that's punk rock is freedom that's something that i've always taken in my growth as a punk rocker and my growth as a person is that punk does allow you to do anything. And I feel like with the Vaseline specifically, it was an idea that indie pop can be punk because These are people who are, you know, mostly recording themselves. I mean, if you want to dive in deep to the K record scene, which we will, you know, Calvin Johnson was pressing up tapes on his own. And I really love the excerpt in Our Band Could Be Your Life, where Beat Happening is described as a punk rock band. And I think that's that's kind of... Part of what got me into the global indie pop scene is, you know, the idea that this very, sometimes very dainty pop music can also be punk. Totally. And it makes totally sense if we are describing like the indie rock scene in South America, um, like the last years of the 90s and also in the early 2000s, you know, all the indie rock bands from Latin America, they they describe themselves as a punk rock bands, you know, at the beginning and makes totally sense. And uh, yeah, I think that that uh, um, the sound that you can make in your own room, I think that is another like big element of all the indie rock scene, I think. Across the Americas, we will say, you know, because in in Latin America specifically, it's a consequence of so many like economic crisis, basically, and so many venues that uh, closed at that time. So literally the bands were in their bedrooms, you know, making music. So, um, yeah, I, I love that uh, parallelismo that you're doing about like you, you can you can do punk, you know, and at the same time, you can be part of the indie rock scene you know <laughs> right and another thing that um another thing that brought me into my education of the world through punk is again the idea of regionalism and glasgow has historically had one of 
the great indie pop scenes in the world dating back to the pastels in, you know, the early mid eighties. And so that was one of the early things where it was like, I learned geography basically through finding out (laughs) where bands were from and their scenes and who they came up with and the kind of, sense of humor, the art, the pop culture references that came from this specific place. And yeah, a big that that's definitely a big takeaway for me for the as far as the Vaseline's go, is that that sense of regionalism and learning about the world through music. Yeah. And then on top of that too, just the the connective thread that that ties all these scenes together. Like we're talking about like DIY, right? And to me, punk is also like perseverance. Like you don't need to like book studio time. Recording in your bedroom is like, is so punk, like you're saying, Albina. Like, and like, it doesn't matter like if you're in Seattle, if you're in like Buenos Aires or if you're in Glasgow, like you can, you can manifest like your, your music and your art anywhere you are and that's uh that's really inspiring to me yeah yeah if you want to make it happen badly enough you'll make it happen let's get into this final record that we're talking about in our round table today and that's pixie surferosa dusty since you handled the episode on this yeah talk to me about it yeah uh like both of you like it'd been it'd been a minute since i listened to a lot of these records on the list like it was just kind of like that was the foundation and you know you kind of go on to other things and i hadn't listened to the Pixies in general in a while. Um, but listening back to this record, it's like, wow, there was, there might not have been a Nirvana without this album, like, or a lot of bands at, in that era of like the early 90s and beyond, I guess. Um, I just, it really kind of blew me away going back to it and just being like, I don't know, stuff you like know, like, oh, of course, yeah, Pixies influence these bands. But then once you like dig into it, you're like, Oh, wow. Yeah, really. You really did. And like, there's all these quotes of Kurt being like, yeah, I ripped off the Pixies for Smells Like Teen Spirit or like, <laughs> I should have just been in a Pixies covers band. And uh, it's so funny to hear him be so like, just open about that. Whereas like other bands, will, you know, try to like hide it. Like, no, I don't, I don't listen to anything. I'm only influenced by myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've all, we've all heard yeah, that. By myself and Radiohead. <laughs> so only two. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, such a great, awesome record. I think it maybe after doing this, it, it bumped up. I was always a really to do little, but maybe this usurped that as my favorite Pixies record, um, finally. And yeah, it's just so raw, so loud. Just like you can, you can tell even if you didn't know they recorded in the same room at the same time, you can like feel it. Like it even especially with um, all the little interludes of them talking and stuff to each other with Kim and Frank, like kind of going back and forth. It feels like you're just, it's kind of voyeuristic. Like you're watching them record this and like, it feels like it could all fall apart, but it never does. Mm-hmm. And that is just like such a great feeling that I'm like always chasing in music. And I have to say that we wouldn't have this album, Sarfa Rosa or Common Pilgrim without Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And Puerto Rico played like a huge role on this starting with the name. Basically, Surfer Rosa is because Frank Blacks, when he went to Puerto Rico for this um, college exchange in 1986, he was like sharing the room with a surfer 
uh, which last name was Rosa. And that's why he put like Surfer Rosa uh, as the name of that album. And uh, I've been talking with a lot of Boricuas about this connection. And also like Pixies were talking about that. You can find like so many uh, Boricua slang there, like puñeta or, you know, different uh, uh, words in Spanish. But I think that we we have to say that, yes, there are like a huge connection between this album and Puerto Rico because the the personal experience that Frank Black had in, in La Isla, in La Isla del Encanto. But we have to say that Pixis is like the biggest influence for indie rock uh, in Latin America. I've been talking actually yesterday with Santiago Motorizado from El Maton Policía Motorizado, part of the episode two of uh, El Sonido podcast. And he was saying that Basically, I, I mean, I, I love Pixies, but my biggest love is Nirvana. So we wanted to do everything that Nirvana said, basically. So <laughs> if Kurkoban said that Pixies was the best, it, it was the best for us, yeah. you know? And yeah, it makes totally sense. And actually, uh, if we're talking about the impact of Pixies in Latin America, the biggest crowd that Pixies had it was like in Mexico a couple of years ago with 100,000 people. Like they played at the Zócalo. It was like a huge uh, show. But uh, back to this special album, again, it was like a, a consequence of this college exchange in 1986 that uh, basically was the, the start of this album, but also the, the beginning of the band. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you talked about that. Uh, we talked about that extensively on on the Surferosa episode, and I'm excited to hear you get into more of this and Latin influence on Nirvana and vice versa on the podcast El Cancionero de Kurt monthly episodes. Can you tell us more about that, Albina? Of course. I'm so excited, too. It's the new podcast in Español from KEXP, the second one that we can say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm super excited. El Cancionero de Kurt means Kurt's songbook, of course, uh, which is like this El Cancionero de Kurt is going to be like a kind of extension in Espanol from the Cobain 50. And we are under this umbrella of the Cancioneros themes, which means songbooks uh, for those like out of the loop. KXP launched El Sonido Cancioneros in 2023, and we traveled around the Latin American music scenes through the personal songbooks of different artists. So we have to say that the Cobain 50 is the Kurt Cobain's personal cancionero. So of course that we are going to explore that. And Nirvana is fundamental for Latin American rock. But also this 50 albums. But back to your question, um, it's time. It's time to tell this story about the influence and the impact on Latin American rock, uh, the legacy as a composer, but also as a pop icon and also as an activist. And I'm saying this like pop icon just because MTV was so huge for this influence across Latin America specifically uh, that um, we're going to cover like both angles, like the Cancionero with this 50 albums, but also many of the artists that are part of this 50 albums that Kurt picked um, were like played a pivotal role in Latin America. 
Many of them like build like a unique bridge, um, such as Pixies with Puerto Rico. But um, also we can say a lot about uh, Court and Nirvana and in Latin America. So I found a lot of stories. I'm so sad that uh, Kurt Cobain didn't include uh, Os Mutantes from Brazil mm. in these 50 albums because I know that Kurt loved a lot Os Mutantes and it was like a huge influence on that. Uh, so you're going to find a lot of these stories. Also, many witnesses of this connection between uh, Kurt Nirvana and Latin America. So you are all invited and uh, I hope you like it. So excited for this podcast, Alvina. Um, on the El Cinito feed, search for it in your podcast platforms. Um, can you talk more about Nirvana's influence in Latin America and also Latin America's influence on Kurt and Nirvana? Yes, sure. We're talking about the 90s. So we have to think about the political and economic context during that time. Um, you can see that Nirvana was a kind of catalyzador for something like super powerful in the musical landscape of Latin America, because the youth were feeling the impact of economic crisis and also like broken societies, particularly in countries that had the recently emerged from dictatorships. So they were new in democracy. So this neoliberal and capitalista party um, was happening in the 90s. So Latin America and countries were depending so much to the United States. And on the other hand, one of the consequences of this capitalista era was basically MTV Latin America arriving to the continent and basically being part of um, the cosmovision of many of young people across the continent, myself included. So I will say that uh, in court, it wasn't just a, a genius music, uh, musicalmente. It was also like a huge pop icon, you know, and and that is thanks to MTV and of course, like the music industry at that time. But let's talk uh, about album sales, because that explains a lot this connection. We can see Nirvana that achieves like two gold records in Mexico for selling like over 200,000 copies, a platino in Argentina for more than 180,000 copies. If we can, uh, we also see that Argentina was fourth in sales, like after United States, Canada, and France. So Nirvana has sold a lot of albums, uh, in specifically in Brazil, in Argentina, and in Mexico, mm. right? And um, although like Bleach was released in 1989, I found um, 1992 charts archives, and Bleach was in the Eighth position, according to Buenos Aires Disco, uh, UPI and Fuentes. So I think that these facts, these numbers, um, explain a direct con connection between these countries, uh, Nirvana, the music industry at that time. So I think that with all these elements, we can consider Kurt and Nirvana like, like the biggest influence for a punk and for rock in the early 2000, I will say, you know, um, early 2000, because I think that everything started 
in the early 2000s in Latin America. So it's huge. And uh, we're going to explain a little bit more about this stories and these connections uh, throughout the year. Very much looking forward to El Cancionero de Kurt. As we're wrapping up, let's talk about why we have gathered today for this roundtable. I mean, these are such different albums, and the title of this roundtable episode is What Do the Stooges, the Pixies, and the Vaselines Have in Common? Other than the fact that each band begins with the, yeah, we could talk about <laughs> the bands all day. How do these albums overlap? Can you find a common thread that tie them together for Kurt? Dusty, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously they sound different, but to me, like it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about, and that's freedom, like freedom to explore in any direction you want to go in, freedom to be weird, to be angry, to to just express and like that is the that is the core ethos uh, of punk to me all these i'd classify all these bands as, as punk in, in one way or the other um maybe they wouldn't who knows but um but um yeah just that 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 willingness to to explore whatever sound and idea you want to go into and i think that's 100 percent felt in nirvana as mm -hmm. well what about you, Alina? Yes, I think that the freedom and again, like uh, this idea of being pioneers in their musical movements, I mm -hmm. think that it's uh, one of the things that can connect all of them. And also, if uh, these uh, um, albums could resonate in Kurt Cobain's, like thinking about his vision and his eclecticism, of course, that uh, uh, can resonate in many of us, you know? So I think that... Uh, um, <laughs> The common element is 100% Kurt Cobain. And, you know, being a young person in this world with a lot of things to say, with a lot of this sense of feeling different, of a feeling that you, you need to say something different than maybe, um, the things that are surrounding you. Uh, so, yeah, I think that. <sighs> We, we have to say, like, thank you, Kurt Cobain, for <laughs> making this list, because I think that uh, you 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 made like a blueprint, you know, for so many generations. Yeah. To piggyback off of what you're saying, Albina, I think the thing that ties them together for me is the culture of influence. Like these are three enormously influential albums to not just Nirvana, who themselves are one of the most influential bands of many generations, of the past several generations, but so many other bands that came through that didn't achieve as much popularity or didn't achieve as much longevity. You know, they were influenced by Stooges, Vaselines, Pixies, each of them are their own tree that sprung many different branches in bands all over the world and probably themselves having influence on other bands. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty amazing to think about when you uh, go back and listen to these albums and how wild and foreign they sounded in the beginning and now they're just they're part of the musical fabric to where 
there are bands that are influenced by bands that are influenced by bands <laughs> that are influenced by these records. Totally. Because somet- sometimes we're thinking about these unique sound that some bands has. And sometimes um, we we think that is a power that just fell from the sky, you know, and it, it's that is not correct. It basically, is right. is is the conclusion of so many pieces and influence. And that's why we can find this like Nirvana unique sound, you know, because it's part of so many of these artists are part of that. Absolutely. And I can't wait to keep talking more in this series about about this, this topic and like so many other themes You know, coming up in the next month. We are going to be digging into Kurt's radical, quote unquote, politics, um, kicking things off with a. KXP's on International Clash Day on February 7th. So at the end of next month, we'll do another one of these roundtables. Is this the 10th annual International Clash Day? It feels like the 100th anniversary. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Albina, for being here today. Can't wait to check out her podcast of Kingston Edit Kurt. Yes, it's going to be so cool. Thank you, chicos. Thank you so much. Shout out to Roddy Nickpour for engineering and audio production on this episode and all the episodes. Isabel Khalili is our podcast manager. Larry Mizell Jr. is our editorial director. I'm Dusty Henry. And I'm Martin Douglas. And this is the Cobain 50 from Listener Powered KEXP, where the music matters. That was great. Thank you so much. You you were so well prepared, too. I love that. I was bullshitting. (laughs)